that breaks down the Beach Boys' seminal album, Pet Sounds. I'm Cecilia. And I'm Gil. And Gil, are you excited to actually talk about the first song on the album today? I am. I am. I'm, uh, it's, it's, I've been waiting. And so this is what it's all about, the music. Exactly. I'd say I've been waiting for the day, but that song comes later. <laughs> uh, but two, two notes that I have once we, uh, before we actually get into the song... Number one, we're recording this on May 1st, which is the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Month, or as I've been sort of uh, retraining myself to call it, Mental Health and Illness Awareness Month, because we need to be aware of both of those things. Um, And given Brian Wilson's mental health and illness journey over the years, and particularly at the time he was creating this, I think that it's particularly fitting or it makes particular sense that we are now beginning to discuss this music, which sort of represents a shift in the way people viewed mental health or a shift in the way people were encouraged to view mental health. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, And then on, on a note that doesn't really have to do with the Beach Boys, today being the 1st of May reminds me of the song called the 1st of May from the Bee Gees Odessa, which was their concept album released in 1969. Uh, So it doesn't have to do with the Beach Boys directly, but it does represent the presence that Pet Sounds had and the influence that it had on other similar bands who decided to venture into this new uncharted territory of the concept album, because that hadn't really been a thing before. That's true. And uh, another uh, family band that had some, uh, you know, internal strife as well. Yes, exactly. I... I actually, I don't really know a lot about the history of the Bee Gees. Um, and I, I mean, they all received kind of the, the three main brothers received songwriting credit, I think, on most of their songs. So it wasn't, it was, I mean, there, there were fewer of them to begin with than there were Beach Boys. But I also think that the creativity seemed to be more evenly distributed. I don't really know. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Um... The 1st of May was released as the single from Odessa, um, much to the chagrin of, uh, of Robin. Uh, Barry, really? it was Barry's song, and Robin uh, wanted uh, a different song. And so, uh, um, and in many ways, Odessa is the, uh, the beginning of the end of that the, kind of the first, the first wave of Bee Gees music. So... Yeah, I mean, just the, the adaptability that they showed over the course of time, given the, the rapidly changing, changing musical landscape, which they were able to, to surf, if you will, <laughs> uh, is, is remarkable. And the, the Beach Boys did not show that same versatility for different reasons, I guess. But just, you know, everyone knows the Bee Gees as the Saturday Night Fever disco guys, but they, they were so much more than that, so much earlier than that. Yes, and I believe they have surfing too in Australia. Oh yeah, that's a good point. They so, they grew up. What was it? They were they were born in England but raised in Australia. Correct, correct. So there you go. Um, they do they do have a surfing culture there. That's right. I learned that from Randy Newman. So there you go. Oh right, right. Yeah. You know, um, don't want to don't want to hurt no kangaroo. Yes, exactly. Um, I I don't know what the single would be from Odessa. <laughs> <laughs> All of the songs are so, they're great songs, but they, they would not have been radio friendly. They wouldn't exactly have been hits. Right. I think, I think, uh, what's the uh, Edison or electricity, whatever oh, that song yeah, was. Edison. I think, I think that was, uh, that was Robin's, uh, choice for, uh, for it, but I may be okay. wrong on that. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think we've I got guess, talk, taken a turn. Yeah. Yeah. I guess melodically speaking, that would have been one of the radio friendlier songs on the album also that that album is much longer than pet sounds as well oh yeah well it's a double double album yeah with uh with a furry cover it's 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 remarkable (laughs) real quickly when the anniversary for that album comes up 
I'm I'm on board for another uh, another podcast. All if, right. <laughs> if anybody wants another podcast from us at this point, who knows? <laughs> We're, we're real. I, I don't know if we're making our case as we speak or breaking it. Uh, we, who says we even need to wait for an anniversary? Uh, That's it, true. It just happened to be the case this time around. Uh, so it's an excuse. But but who says we need an excuse? OK, that's true. That's true. But anyway, back back to pet sounds. We're, Wouldn't that be taking, nice? We're taking the reins again. Wouldn't it be nice? OK, so our first our first song. Wouldn't it be nice, as we've talked about, one of the better known songs in the Beach Boys entire catalog, or that that isn't one of the early hits that everybody knows. Um, It was the third single, as far as the research I've done goes, uh, the third single, the B-side of which was God Only Knows. So you kind of, you got what we now recognize as a double whammy from this single, Uh, but at the time people weren't really paying that much attention to either, I guess. Uh, or they, they would have been paying more attention to Wouldn't It Be Nice because it was the A-side and because it was more widely accessible, I guess, than it also was, God only knows, was a ballad and people tend to treat ballads differently. Um, but So it was the third single. It was written, Brian, Mike Love, and Tony Asher all have songwriting credits on this one. Um, so I don't know where... Mike's lyrics ended and Tony's began or what I'm, I'm not really sure uh, how their relationship or, or their whatever collaboration their lyric writing did. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that went. My, my sense, and, and this is based on nothing I in many ways, uh, but my sense is if Tony and Brian did a lot of this work while the, the 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 rest of the boys were uh, in Japan. Um, maybe Mike just when he got back and they started recording, started tweaking some things, you know, to mm-hmm. make it to make it uh, you know easier to sing or or a, a, a better line, whatever. Because that's how often you kind of have a third songwriter, especially since we know okay, Brian and uh, and Tony were. Um, doing this work together um why would you have a third why would you have a third songwriter in there and it could have just been well he made some changes as we were recording etc that were substantial that were good you know that kind of thing so that would be my hypothesis yeah that makes sense and especially since mike was the one doing i mean he sings lead on some of the song mostly on the bridge um but because because he was actually the one the the lyricist who would be singing the stuff, uh, he he wanted some control over what he was singing, or to right. to make sure uh, that the lyrics were optimized for singing. Right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so so the the lyrics and and songwriting were kind of all accounted for. The instrumentation on this album includes, among other things, a glockenspiel, a trumpet, an accordion, two types of piano, regular piano and tack, bells, two types of bass, both string and electric, like upright and electric, and of course, as I'm going to be talking about forever, timpani. Okay, but uh, take a step back here. Two kinds of pianos. Explain this to me. A a, a regular piano. And what's the other kind? A tack piano. What is is that? A tack piano is like, it's it's like what you hear in, what you associate with like a saloon. Gotcha. So Um, like an upright? Kind of that honky-tonk. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. A lot, like a lot of uh, the tack piano would become really popular, I think, in the 70s. Um, and I'm once once people got more interested in the piano anyway, as a result of artists like Elton John and Billy Joel. Okay. All right. Very um, good. Thank and, you. And also Queen, because, because Freddie Mercury wrote a lot of piano-based stuff. Um, All right. So, so tack piano. And I, like, I don't know exactly how the strings are compressed in a tack piano in a way that they're not like the like on a regular piano you have pedals 
and you also have the keys, both of which depress the strings on the inside. And attack piano does the same thing, but differently. And I don't know exactly how, because I'm not a piano technician. Okay. All right. But that's okay. But I now have a, a better sense. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And actually we'll talk a little bit about the piano in the next track in the next episode, because they're doing certain things with a regular piano that I think people up to that point in popular music had not thought to do. And then, and then uh, Brian sings lead on the verses and then Carl and Mike join in on the bridge, which we'll talk about once we actually start listening to the song. So what do you say we start the song? I say, let's start it. I would argue that this is one of the most famous intros in music. What do you think? Uh, it would be up there. I definitely would, uh, would can't, it, it's, it, I can't disagree with that statement. Let's put it that way. I would think even if people aren't able to name it necessarily or, or tell where it comes from, it's pretty universally recognizable. Yes. Um, and like I said, before, I, my, my first introduction to that introduction was as this song at the beginning of Pet Sounds. I had never heard this song or I, I don't remember ever having heard this song in any other context or, you know, out of context. Okay. So I hear that and my, my immediate association is with the album as a whole. And I think it's such an interestingly deceptive introduction because it starts out, I think, I think we're in A major. In, in this introduction and it starts out and it's, it's a false start because then with the, the introduction of the drum and then you, then you go into the main idea, that first portion of the song, all of a sudden we're in F major. So we've been sort of tricked right off the bat. <laughs> They're kind of pulling one over on us before, before we've even acclimated to the fact that we're listening to a song. It's really interesting to me. And to what effect, right? I mean, so it certainly makes that that drum, um, you know, kind of that 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 uh, that sudden um, drum follows a surprise. You're right, right. Um, yeah. And so, what does what you know? Is there a, enough of the false start to fool us? I guess. Yeah, well, the thing that the drum does is it sort of obscures the modulation. Okay, so so a modulation in music theory is when how a composer gets from one key to another key. Sometimes they don't they don't do anything. They just change keys. That's called a direct modulation. And sometimes they do other things. I I don't remember all of the terminology. It's not all at the forefront of my mind, but. Anyway, what Brian is not doing a direct modulation here. What he's written is the, um, the, the instrument at the beginning, the stringed instrument that is playing that, um, that otherwise acapella intro is moving from A major into F major. It has those leading tones that indicate to us that we are shifting into F major, but we don't really hear what that procession of notes is because we're focused on that drum that sudden kick we're so gotcha. startled by that that we're not even paying attention to the fact that we're shifting keys oh. all right so so and i i wouldn't be able to tell you what each of those notes is because the sound of the drum literally <laughs> obscures the sound <laughs> of the changing key so all i can tell you is that we are we're moving from a we start out in a and then we're in f and I can tell you that, like, we have, like, the, the, um, the leading tone to F is E because it's a half step under F, which is, which is the tonic of the new key, the, the, home, the home note of the new key. 
So I can only tell you that we're moving keys at all because I can hear that E sticking out. Okay, so it's not a false start, as it were, as in just a a short a short journey from one point to the next with a with a with a big drum in the middle or at the end. Yeah, yeah, ba- basically. But the fact is that this this key change, this this shift in gears, only takes up a measure or two. So unless you're a musician or your ears are especially attuned to it, you, you feel like you've been tricked. Okay. Because you're, you're hearing this intro, you're like, okay, we're in this one key, whatever that key is, it just happens to be A. And, and then all of a sudden they start singing and they're in another key. And I did not expect that. That's what I mean. Gotcha. Um, yeah, okay. And then, then we have this first set of lyrics too. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Which, of course, I mean... On, on the surface and what anyone would kind of think of when they associate with this with the rest of what the Beach Boys have done up to this point is, okay, we have this this nice narrative of teen love, this sort of wistful longing, you know, we, we would like to have a grown-up relationship or something more mature than what we have, which I think is pretty ingenious because g- given that we're sort of in this new instrumental context you know here we are it's the beach boys we're accustomed to there being this you know guitars and drum like you know very jangly kind of pop band all of a sudden okay we have instruments that we've never heard before from them it's it's a little disorienting but we're being acclimated to that we're being sort of eased into it by the fact that we have this familiar lyrical theme ah and and or, so yes, so the idea of this is still um, this is still the uh, those uh, those guys that are interested in girls, cars, and surfing, right? But but thinking about thinking about um, something else, thinking about I mean, still thinking about girls, but in a different way, right? Okay, yeah, and then I sort of an, another layer on top of that is that if you look a little bit deeper into the lyric, wouldn't it be nice if we were older, it might refer as much to, and we've, we've talked about this in past episodes, it might refer as much to the music scene and sort of the, the community of musicians as to a potential, you know, romantic situation depicted, made up for a lyric. So would, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Wouldn't it be nice if, like, would, wouldn't it be great if we could create some deeper, more meaningful music than what we've been doing thus far? Oh, okay. All right. Because we don't, we don't have the, the uh, um, in that first line, even that second uh, line, um, we don't have a romantic context yet. Right. Right. It's not we don't get to live together until the third, uh, the third line of that first verse. Right. But, so, even, you know, wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? That isn't necessarily romantic either. Oh, that's true, too. That, that's very hippie. I mean, that's the summer of love the year before the summer of love. That kind of guiding principle was very much prevalent throughout the next couple of years. That's true. That's true. Or and at least the next I mean, year, ni- 1968, kind of got more into the riots. Right, right. And the thing is, is that this is all potential, right? It's yeah, possible. Yeah. It's not now, right? It's, it's uh, in in Latin grammar, right? This would be a subjunctive, and it would be you know contrary to fact statements, mm. right? Um, that we're not older, right? Um, we have, we still have to wait. Um, we don't live together. Um, Right. So it's it's there's um, and maybe this is that idea of the two uh, the two keys um, that, uh, you know, that that uh, that tension there is that this oh. is all just potential. This is all just potential. It's not actual yet and Look maybe never will be and maybe never will be. It's word painting. There you really, go. Wow, we're we are we're actually getting into some very musically mature concepts here. So well, they are, I'm, I'm just bringing of, the Latin grammar. 
So. They're embodying what they what they wish they could they could, the experience that they wish they could live, but that experience is not yet a lived experience. Uh, and then, of course, you have that first sort of um, se- second part of the verse. I guess it's not really a pre-chorus because there isn't really a chorus. But the the second part of the verse that leads into the the next part, um, which is where the harmonies come in for the first time. You're like, okay, we know these voices. We know what it is that they do, but once again, it's in this more sonically, harmonically rich context that we have not heard from them before. And just the melody is so nice. It's, it's, so, it's so bright and optimistic and, and just pleasant to listen to. So they're not throwing you into the deep end sonically, as it were sort of the more experimental sounds come later. This yes. this song is a very accessible point of entry for the album. Yeah, George Martin mentioned, he said, you know, everybody knows the Beach Boys for their harmonies, but he says, you know, what's what's great much of their work, and he's talking about Brian's work, is mm-hmm. are the melodies. And it is. It's a, this is, this is uh, you know, absolutely beautiful. Now, real quickly, um, sonically rich... Right, I get the idea. Uh, does the fact that people were listening to this? Um, well, I guess they weren't listening to it on the radio very much because uh, what this reached? What did what this uh, what this song reach? Uh, number eight. Well, I guess they so they were hearing it on the radio. Um, yeah, if, but, if it reached into the top ten, it it had some radio play. Right. So, but they're listening to it on on uh, car radios. They're listening how uh, and or even on you know uh, uh, you know a, a little record player in uh, in their rooms that sort of thing. Um, do we? Do, how much is that richness being appreciated? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they're not what what most people, you know, the average listener probably is not doing is listening intentionally, doing a lot of intentional, mindful listening. Like the John Lennon and Paul McCartney first heard this record at one of those swinging London parties uh, that that they <laughs> that they invariably attended with great frequency. <laughs> and so they they were listening to it intentionally, and the, and but e- and even their like their unintentional listening, given the level of musicianship at which they were operating, even their unintentional listening is more intentional than the average listener's intentional listening. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So and and um, granted, so, even yeah. that, I mean. Uh, the, the the other thing is okay if you didn't hear it on the radio and you were listening to it you were listening at home at your record player because you didn't have any other right walking around with a Walkman you weren't you know listening to stuff on your phone you weren't streaming stuff wherever the heck you were right so probably I you know so but but I guess my point would be the intention even the intentional listener would not necessarily. Um, appreciate all the stuff that Brian was doing. And you sure. kind of get the sense that the <laughs> the capital execs who should have been intentionally listening probably weren't all that uh, weren't listening all that closely either. One of the other really fascinating things that I found about just reading these lyrics, so completely separate from their musical context, right and from the way the, the way they metrically fit into the music, is if you read the lines, they're essentially iambic pentameter. You know it's gonna make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. Okay. That's five beats per line. Right. <laughs> that that's that's the that's the meter of love. Ah. So I, I don't I don't know if this was intentional on Tony slash Mike's part. Uh, but but the fact that 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 particular poetic meter has a long history, uh, particularly in Shakespeare, um, and I, I, I'm a lot of other poets, it was, yes. it was actually yeah. kind of the standard for a while. But Shakespeare, I think, particularly popularized it. Um, just just the fact that they tapped into that history, I think, is is really funny and is something that you wouldn't necessarily notice if you weren't reading the lyrics straight. 
Right. And that's not the way it is in the other, like in the, in the earlier part of the, of the song, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we were older, et cetera? None of that's pentameter. Um, I not, I mean, it not, not in the same way. No. If like, if, okay, if you wanted to count it out, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? That's still five. But, and the, the, uh, the emphasis, like the, the rhymes are feminine rhymes as in they have the, the extra syllable at the end. So the, the last syllable or the last beat is not strong or it's strong weak instead of weak strong. Right. Um, but there, there usually isn't, there usually aren't the I am's in the same way that there are later on. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little different. It's a bit of a stretch, I guess, but it isn't impossible. Gotcha. I just love that wah 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 wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and that's like on the the pet sound sessions when Brian is talking and sort of interacting with the musicians, he's always just imitating all of the instruments with his voice. He's just like, hey, when when you do the wah 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 wah, wah he's, just, he's he's being very very informal and personal about it and it's it's really great to hear and really heartwarming um and the the i think the guy who played the timpani was called frankie um because he in in the the early sessions when they're trying to get that intro and sort of the establishing the percussions rhythm in the song he's like frankie frankie don't do too much and he's it's just kind of boom boom the whole time (laughs) um which is and the like the timpani are much more present than I originally realized because you're listening to them and kind of in in that section, which is the lead up to each verse, the you know it's gonna make it that much better, that whole part the the timpani are sort of beating out a, a four like a steady four in each measure, but you don't really hear it because it it crescendos up to the end. It's sort of understated at the beginning, and there's a gradual growth. Each time. And it's, it's, a, it's a constantly evolving piece of music, which is one of the reasons that I think it's so interesting to listen to. And does that timpani um, add to, um, or how does that uh, timpani interplay with the um, iambic pentameter that you were mentioning before? Mm. That's a good question. I never, I never really thought about mm-hmm. that. Um, it's, and, I mean, and the other it thing is, it just sort of it it provides a smooth passage between lines, I guess, because you really only hear the timpani are really only the punctuation at the end of each section, and it's it's how like when when you hear the timpani, you know that something is going to happen soon. So it's really more of the more of the transitional percussion, I suppose you could call it. Gotcha. Um, because the other thing to keep in mind is those two lines, you know, it's going to make it that much better when we say goodnight and stay together. That's when the erotic portion of the, uh, of the song is made plain for the first yeah. time. Good point. Right. So, um, so I think it's, it's a, a, a major point, right? Because whatever, whatever we were thinking in the, uh, in the first part, um, this now makes it clear what we're talking about. This is what it would be, right? Why, what, what would be nice? This is, this is it, right? When right. we don't have to say goodnight and we can stay together. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So it, it would make sense that the, it would especially make sense that the percussion would become uh, more layered or, or more interesting at that point in time because the percussion has the, the greatest capacity to mimic a heartbeat. There you go. Um, and and you know, not just yeah. a, not just a heartbeat, but given what they're going to, why they want to stay together for the night, mm-hmm. right? It's not just 
it's not just love, it's there's That's sex true. involved. Yes. That's a good point. All right. Timpani equals sexy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bang a, a gong, a get it on. It's a very sexy instrument, you know? It, you can't play the timpani, like, half-heartedly. You got to be into it. Right. You got you. It commands attention. You can command a room with a with a drum like that. So this. So now we're very firmly in romantic territory. Yes. Um, and romantic territory that is more mature than the earlier romantic territory that they explored because we're now also spending the night together. Right. And and you know, and and yeah, so it's it's and but it's a full relationship, right? It's not just mm -hmm. about it's not just about that because it's not just about spending the night, but spending the day together too, right? So it's it's not just about oh golly, I can't wait till we're married and we can have sex, but right. um, I can't wait because then we can spend you know our lives together, right? Because you're spending night and day together. Yeah. Um, yeah, like we we can live as an independent couple. Correct. Essentially. And that kiss never ending. Right. Musically speaking, here is where we find out that we haven't actually been tricked in the way that we thought we have, because the intro theme comes back. Because you're, you're listening to it behind it's the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It, it now fits into a larger harmonic structure that we did not hear at the beginning because it was a cappella. So we've changed keys again. Now we're, we're back to A. But now the, it, it, becomes, it becomes part of this bridge and becomes part of this larger, this larger thing that we would have not been privy to before. Yeah. And this is, this is, this has got my favorite line, the whole song, this maybe yeah. if we think and wish and hope and pray, it might come true that what's called polysyndeton, right? Using those three ands as opposed to what you might use only one normally. Right. So that and 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 think and wish and hope and pray um, once again. Right. This is all potential. Right. This is all contrary to current fact. Um, and so it really emphasizes that we got to think about it and, and wish and, uh, and hope and pray. And, and maybe it might come true. It's you know, just the the delaying. Right. The uh, the, the 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 fact that it's not yet um happening and it might not be soon right um because if you go if we think and wish and hope and pray it might come true so i i just love that i, I love that part i never thought i never stopped to ponder the beauty of that line there you go um, that's why i'm here it's it's mike love's entrance his vocal entrance into the song and into the album so, and his, his voice, he would sing lead a lot of the time. So his voice is, would, would have been very synonymous in the minds of listeners with, okay, this is the Beach Boys sound. And now here he comes with this, with this whopper of a line. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, it's funny that you are so attached to this because this section also contains my favorite musical moment, I think, of the entire album. All right. Which is... Brian goes, we could be married. And Carl goes, we could be married. And then Brian goes, and then we'd be happy. And Carl goes, and then we'd be happy. Which is, and that, that section that Carl does, again, the key change from A back to F is my favorite moment of the whole album. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, you, it comes out of the blue. You wouldn't, like, as a musician, you wouldn't really know how to, puzzle that out it just fits in so well and it brings us back home it brings us back to oh wouldn't it be nice yes back back to the home idea back to the home key in which that idea is housed 
it's it's just great. And I I have to say there are some albums that I have favorite musical moments from and others that I don't. Like I'm I'm kind of trying to think I don't know if I have a a specific favorite moment from any Beatles album. I don't I don't really know that I do. But to uh to go on a tangent for a second, your favorite solo Paul Simon album, Hearts and Bones? Right. I do have a favorite musical moment from that album, which is at the end of, so for, for listeners who are unfamiliar with the album, there are two songs on the album called Think Too Much. There's Think Too Much B and Think Too Much A. They appear in that order. <laughs> and my favorite moment is at the end of Think Too Much A, when he goes, left side of the brain controls the right side of the brain. And it's just, it's so joyful. It's so like the, that, that version of the song, that iteration of the song is more upbeat than the other one. It gets you dancing more. Um, and it's, it's remarkable. And, and I, I just, I think that it's such a, a pure encapsulation of the joy of the moment in an otherwise pretty melancholy album. I want to get back to maybe if we think and wish and hope and pray, it might come true. Yeah. And then, then they're the background singers sing something. What are they singing and why? They go, I mean, one of the run, run, way. And I run, run is a common like doo-wop backing syllable because like you've got the, it's like run, run or, or Ron, Ron. You've got the openness of the vowel and then the smoothness of the ending consonant. It's an end. Run, okay. run. It, it okay. is very easy to sing and okay. it resonates. So it, it sounds, you know, it's, it's different. And I mean, vocal jazz was still developing as a genre, but, but people could already tell. And kind of with the, the barbershop quartet tradition of the early, like the, the earlier half of the 20th century, people, people could tell which syllables had the most resonance and had the most sort of a buoyancy to them, I suppose, and which ones didn't. And, and Ron Ron was just one that the Beach Boys latched onto. Okay. So it's not, I was thinking maybe Run Run and it's a, you know, some reference to an earlier song or anything, something like that, but no. Yeah, I guess I mean, it could have been Run Run Reindeer from Little St. Nick. <laughs> but anyway, pro- but no, pro- I, it was probably just, it the the word itself probably I would think has no significance. It's just okay. a syllable. Okay, fair enough. Okay, um, good to know. Um, but anyway, so that's but that's because uh, okay. So, uh, um, and that ex- of course that extends the line even more, right? That back. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and the, I mean the the voices in the background are also ascending during. I mean you've got the. The then the line after that, the maybe then there wouldn't be a single thing we couldn't do. And the, the backing voices are ascending as the, the main vocal line is descending. So that also makes for a richer experience, I suppose. All right. Um, so there's, and I, the, the really fascinating thing, I think it really means something that we have both latched on to this, this section this different section from the verses thus far, this bridge, because as we've established in earlier episodes, early Beach Boys songs didn't even have bridges. They just had instrumental breaks. And now here we are. This song is really more fully formed. It's not, okay, we have these three verses and we're going to put an instrumental break in the middle to string them together. It's, this is a fully fledged, fleshed out musical idea from beginning to end. And lyrically, right, baby, there wouldn't be a single thing we couldn't do or we could be married, right? And single, of course, there um, has the double meaning, right? Mm. Um, Single as in one thing, there's nothing that we couldn't do, but also we wouldn't be single anymore. We would be married. Yes. So, and then we'd be happy. And then we'd be happy, yeah. Um, and I mean, what's what, of course, is interesting here and kind of let's uh, melancholy in this sense is that it's not like Brian was raised in a happy, happily, you know, the home of a happily married couple. You got this mm-hmm. feeling, right? Yeah. So, 
Um, so this this image that that is being portrayed um, is quite old fashioned, if you will. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's it's idealizing this picture of domesticity that he doesn't even necessarily have a personal experience of, or you know, like he he hasn't seen that, but he has this idea in his head of what it could be like. Okay, I'm going to ask an unfair question. Is Brian married by this point? Uh, yeah, he's married to Marilyn. Okay. Um, and they've been married for, I think, a couple a couple years by that point. I don't know when they got married. Gotcha. But okay. But okay. So. Um, so yes, he himself is in a marriage. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, it, it didn't last. But I don't know how acrimonious it was for lack of a better I I don't know how unhappy they were in the marriage at least at this point in time Yeah, not a bad fade out. Not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, I mean, the, the slowed down, so we've kind of got this, this moment where time seems to stand still almost, or where there's this, this retardando, as, as we say in the music biz. And we're sort of lingering on this idea of, you know, this, this disconnect, once again, between, between what we have and what we want. The more we talk about it, it only makes it worse to live without it. But we're, we're going to continue to rehash this idea no matter how much pain it causes us in the moment because we have this, this future desire that we, we want to be realized. Right. And there also, but there also seems to be um, just the, the, the realization that, well, at this point, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. Right. I mean, that there is. So we're going to do this. Right. It only makes it worse to live without it. But let's talk about it, because what else can we do? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it the, the bridge sort of sort of sets up for us this passive position that they're in, you know, think and wish and hope and pray. None of those is active. They're they're all, you know. It, hope, hoping for something to happen in the future that we are as yet powerless to put into motion. Right. Which brings us back to the, wouldn't it be nice if we were older? So this, you know, we're, 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 we're too young or we're told we're too young or we're still living in our parents' homes. Um, and so we don't have any way of, of we, don't, we ha won't have any other option, right? So let's talk about it because um we 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 don't and when besides talking we'll think and wish and hope and pray but that it might come true but right now we don't have we don't have the means we don't have the opportunity um so let's just talk yeah yeah and let's let's keep that dialogue going yes with with the with the intention that if if we talk about it enough will one day ultimately have the means to make it a reality. Right. And I think the outro that uh, it kind of set, it, this makes it clear what's happening. I, I read this. Good night, my baby. Sleep tight, my baby. Good night, my baby. Sleep tight, my baby. Good night, my baby. Sleep tight, my baby. I see that. I read that as they're on the phone and they're talking to oh. one another. It's late at night. And we're talking to each other. Um, and wouldn't it be great, right? Wouldn't it 
your bed and I were in, I weren't in my bed, but we were in our bed together, married, then we wouldn't have to say, we wouldn't have to do this. We wouldn't have to say good night, sleep tight, see you tomorrow. In all my years of listening to this song, I never pictured it in that scenario, but that makes total sense. Well, that's why that's why you listen to pod sounds. Yeah. Yes. You heard it here, folks. They're on the phone. That's what and I mean that is that is a uh, lyrical trope that Taylor Swift would use very often, especially at the earliest points of her career. So where did she learn it? Maybe from maybe from Brian Wilson. Maybe Let's not. Get her, but maybe. get her on the get her on the phone. See see what yes. uh, see if she will uh, confirm Taylor that. Taylor Swift, if you want to come on the pod and talk about how <laughs> Pet Sounds and the Beach Boys did or did not influence you, you're always welcome. Um, yeah, and that I mean, sort of once they've come to the decision, so to speak, to just keep talking about it, then we can return to the the main idea, the main tempo, and and sort of play play themselves out like okay we we have come to this decision and now we will carry on wishing in the way that we have before because we know we're on the same page about this right hence the outro yes yeah i i like the song i'd give it an a i i I agree i agree and and uh 1966 right uh why only number eight come on What's going on? Um, I mean, 1966 was a very busy year for music. Uh, But this this was this was a high point, certainly. So and I think as a single, I want to say it was released. I think it was July 18th. So it was I mean, it was it was after the album as a whole had been released. Um, and it was also after, like, Blonde on Blonde, Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde had been released. And this was more accessible than any of those songs. Even <laughs> that later on in the album, the lyrical exploration would turn darker. You know, you, you have songs like I Just Wasn't Made for These Times and Caroline No and things right. like that later. I mean, the, the album really ends on a rather melancholy note which we'll we'll talk about when we come to that but given that we have this familiar theme of teen love and you know wishing for something better or sort of uh expressing expressing those ideas that are not that far removed from the lyrical fodder for their earlier songs i think that it's once again it's it's the most accessible point of entry it's okay audiences are used to hearing something about this before which is the lyrical content even if they're not accustomed to the orchestration or the instrumental content and so if they had opened with a track like the next one which is you still believe in me the audience their their audience would have felt entirely alienated and would have felt like okay they're they've really like i said before thrown us into the deep end here okay, and there's nothing right. for us to hold on to whereas with with this song this song is a good the best of the entire album, the best transition from their earlier work to the work that they're doing on this album. Okay, there you go. That's a, there's a good, so I guess, uh, there's I a guess good reason. there is the answer. Yeah, that is, that is the answer. Um, I and... know there's an answer. <laughs> stop bringing up ah. that, uh, stop bringing up that song. Because uh-huh. that's later. That's later. Yeah. You don't want, you don't, um, um, yeah, I know. And so, and, and last time, of course, for those people who may not be listening to these in order, but last time we mentioned the Rolling Stones song, Let's Spend the Night Together, which is clearly a response to this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so exactly. go listen to that podcast um, for <laughs> uh, the previous uh, episode because, episode. yeah, yeah that, uh, um we we talk about that, so we won't talk about it now. But anyway, yeah. so there you go. And, but I mean, and with that song, it the the narrative or the the point of view is more one sided. Yes, um, and and is more kind of, you know, let let me in as opposed to with with this with this song. There's more of a collaborative air, I suppose. Yes, right. Or more Definitely. of a we we are both thinking these things, whereas uh, with let's spend the night together. We can't be sure that the addressee is feeling the same way. Maybe, Correct. 
but but maybe not. Right, right. But it's definitely more of a um, this this nice little American band with their nice little American uh, values kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's assault those. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or let's let's make it more exciting. <laughs> maybe 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 we don't. You know, there's no mention of marriage. Maybe maybe we don't have to buy into the marriage industrial complex. Who knows? Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's uh, so he said. You know, the, in that song, there's another option. We there don't have to option. wait. We don't have to. Uh, we can just spend the night together. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, I do. You have any final thoughts about this track? Because I, uh, I think I've said everything. I, I agree. I think uh, I have as well. But uh, just keep listening to this, and uh, now I'm excited to see where where we're where we're going. Because I think each time we're going to see see things that maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I think that we really the the album really starts on a particularly strong note. Um, and I don't remember in what context I said this, but a, a few years ago, I wrote something to the effect of if I could only listen to one song for the rest of my life, I wouldn't complain if it were this song. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Once again, it's I can so, see. And, and given this discussion that we've just had about what a, what a complete and thoroughly integrated musical statement it is. I, I think I think it's meaty enough to sustain a person for the rest of their lives. Yes, I agree. Yeah. All right. I think I think that's it for us this week. Yes. So uh, thank you, and come back uh, come back again, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about the next track. You still believe in me. That's a good one, too. I'm excited for it. Me too. Uh, but thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Pod Sounds. We're glad you're here. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. You can find us on Insta at pod underscore sounds underscore podcast. You can find me at cmgiglio. And you can find Gil at CT Halfwit. I've been your co-host and producer, Cecilia Gelati. See you soon.